Welcome to Draw Near, where Fred and I pick up really any number of topics, but we focus the discussion always on God. And our aim is always to bring anybody listening closer, that's why it's called Draw Near, closer to the love of the Father. So before we start, I want to share kind of a funny little story. (laughs) Um, The other day, Fred came to me and he goes, um, you know, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, they kind of have some chit chat and banter at the beginning so what do you think should we try and do chit chat and banter and i don't know fred if you remember (laughs) what i said to you well i mean it was it it was exactly as awkward as that it was should we do chit chat and banter like (laughs) like doesn't that sound like a a really awkward question yeah i i think i looked at you and i was literally like fred we hate banter. <laughs> yeah. We don't do yeah. chat yeah. It's always like inserted into the, the middle of our discussions anyway. Like a random, yeah. you know, funny thing might just suddenly appear. But it really is. We tend to have these kind of conversations all the time. And we enjoy that and find joy in doing that. So we, we hope you find joy in listening uh, as well. Yeah, exactly. I think it's probably like the introvert side of us. We just really like deep conversations and meaningful connections. So we tend to just skip the the little chit chat stuff because we're just not very good yeah. at it. Yeah. So yeah. I hope that's okay with all of you. Um, we don't get enough time on each topic. We don't get enough time with you. And so we really want to use the time that we do have to keep Keep drawn near manageable in your schedule, but also really get to that deep conversation um, and meaningful connection. So I hope that's okay with everybody listening. Um, And the longer you listen, yeah, and the longer you listen, the more you're going to learn about us, the more those kind of funny stories will just naturally come up. Yeah, for sure. So with that said, let's dive right in. Today's topic, we are actually picking up this powerful scripture reflection um, of Jesus's call of the apostles. So we're going to do a scripture reflection with it, but also practical application. So um, if you are able to follow along, meaning like if you're not driving, if you're not out for a walk or something, we're going to start in uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Fred, would you go ahead and read that? Yes. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, Kara, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. What stands out to you about that passage of Scripture? What do you find especially challenging or encouraging or shocking? Just what really stands out to you in that passage of Scripture? Mm, okay. So there are a couple things that stand out to me, but I'm only going to pick one because i got to leave you something to talk about. <laughs> I think, honestly, the thing that stands out to me the most is that they're fishermen. Um, for they were fishermen, and we see with with James and John, they're in the boat. They cast out their nets, so we know they're fishermen as well. And, um, you know, when, when young Jewish boys, okay, so they either, basically, they either studied under a rabbi. They were called by a rabbi and decided, you know, you're, you're the most promising student. Come, follow me. They actually were said that, were told that. Come, follow me to come and study under a rabbi, or if you were not deemed a promising student, then you took up the trade of your father. 
And we see this here, that this is what has happened. They are, especially with James and John, they're in the boat with their father. So these men, these fishermen, have basically already been passed up. They were not deemed to be the promising student who would follow under the rabbi, so they take up their father's trade. And I love this because they were already passed over. They were simple fishermen. And these are the men that Jesus chose. And he chose them before this moment. He chose them before his call to them. And so I want to show you, I want to show you this connection in the Old Testament, Fred. In Jeremiah 16, chapter 16. So we have the Lord. He's talking about a time where he's going to restore his people. So the people of Israel, they were scattered. We have the lost 10 tribes of Israel. We have the two southern tribes. The people of God are scattered. And he's talking about this time where he is going to restore all nations. Okay, so in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, it says, For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, Mm. and they shall catch them. So the fishers will be the ones who are going to catch the nations and restore the tribes. And I just think this is so awesome. Fishermen, common fishermen. And so he had this in plan before the call of the apostles and he calls these fishermen and i just think this is what stands out to me because this is so important with how he how jesus lived and shows us how to live but also how he interacts with our own life because we see like he's drawn to dare i say the weak he is drawn to the ill-equipped he is drawn to sinners to the poor we see this already here with the fishermen We see this with the tax collectors. Okay, Matthew, the tax collector. A tax collector was not going to reach anybody. Jews hated tax collectors. They're the ones who came, took your money, they took your house, they put you in debt prison. We we still hate tax collectors. We still hate tax collectors. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry if you're an IRS person listening. I mean no offense. (laughs) No, no. But exactly, you know, and, and Mary Magdalene, right? She's the one who goes to the apostles that he is risen. She was ill equipped. They didn't believe her. So I think like he uses the weak. He uses the uncommon, you know, what the world would not often choose. And that's why I love this because I think like it just points to him as humble and loving and like he comes to all people, he calls all people and he you know, at the foot of the or at the cross he says I thirst in John's gospel. He thirsts for all people. Mm. And I love this and I think that's what resonates with me, Fred, because I know I am weak. I know I am ill-equipped for anything that he calls me to. But I know that if God brings any kind of success out of me, that the only logical reason somebody would would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I got something out of that. Because I am ill-equipped, because I am weak, it must be God. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. One of the things that stands out to me, Kara, is that, that very – and I never made that connection in this passage. So yeah. Kara pointed that out and. This has been a passage of scripture that for most of my walk with Christ has been mm-hmm. very profound to me and, and shaped my faith in a lot of ways. But I had never made that connection. So two things stand out to me, even in your observation. And we're just talking about what stands out in your observation now, Care. We're yeah. not even talking about the passage anymore. But it, it, this is, that's how rich it is. What stands out to me is, one, how much can be gained from a deep knowledge of scripture? To be able to connect, I mean, there you really see that Old Testament connecting to the new and seeing things in a new light. 
So as what a lot of people don't realize is that all Jewish boys at that time, you know, until they're around the age of 13, they've been well ver- versed in scriptures. And, yeah. you know, they're all trained to be, you know, either uh, a rabbi or to do their father's trade. And that's the choice that they all would have heard, you know, at the age of 13. They would have heard one of two things. Go and ply your father's trade or come follow me, take my yoke upon you, which is yeah. literally those words probably sound familiar to many of our listeners because of the very same things that Jesus said to them. Come follow me, take my yoke upon you. And when a rabbi would say to his disciples, come follow me, take my yoke upon you, what he was really saying to them was, you have what it takes. Mm-hmm. Let my let my worldview be your worldview. Let my mind be in, in, in you. And, and so I think that's especially important because we see Christ saying, I have called you. He, over and over again, you hear him placing that emphasis on he has called us. And that's true for all of us. Christ has called us uh, to come and to follow him. And by virtue of his grace at work in our lives, he equips us to do this great work. And that is incredible. And that's probably the third thing that stands out to me in what you said, Kara. <laughs> I said there was only two. I lied. There's a bonus one. And that's <laughs> that we get to participate in this being fishers of men because we all share in that call to, to evangelize, to be fishers of men. And I think that's incredible that yeah. we get to participate in this great plan of salvation that God has for the world. It would have been so much quicker. It would have been so much easier if God would have just snapped his fingers, if you will, and just made it all happen. But he allows us to participate, to help bring salvation to others. And I think that is incredible uh, that we get to do that. It's humbling, too. It Uh, really is. It really, like, who am I? Exactly. And yet you have chosen me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Kara and I even think that about just being able to talk to you all about yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. Who are we? Seriously, you know. Well, if you were ever to meet me in person, like I might be one of the least articulate people. And my husband always pokes fun. He says I'm socially awkward. So seriously, I'm like, who am I to teach people? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, but it's only with God, you know. Right. And I, I'm the same way. In fact, I purposely try to not stand out and be forgotten, if you will. So yeah. Kara, one of the things that really has always stood out to me in this passage is that word immediately. Right. Because that's mind-boggling to me that they would just literally, in that moment, immediately change direction. And maybe part of that immediately is is understanding all of what you said. It's certainly a grace-inspired moment, but Mm -hmm. immediately they just left and followed him. Now, Kara, I don't know about you, but I wish wish the, the kids would... Uh, respond with that kind of immediately, immediately. Right. you know, I just yeah, yeah. say, hey, come, come do the dishes. And it just happens. That would be awesome. Uh, my daughter's new response is, I say no. And I'm like, well, I said <laughs> I, yes. I say no. <laughs> I say no. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's cute that it's not just a no. It's a, I, I say know. no. <laughs> it's a declaration. Yeah, it is. It is. It's more authoritative. It has more uh, gravitas. Yeah, my three-year-old has authority. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, but Kara, that's also, that's not the first time we see that in scripture. I, you know, you mentioned Matthew and we see the same thing what happened with Matthew. He just gets up, leaves his, yeah. leaves his tax collecting booth, if you will, behind and just goes, follows the Lord. Uh, the woman at the well also stands out to me in John chapter four. We kind of see the same thing. She, mm-hmm. not only does it, it, it spur a change in her life, but she goes and she takes that Fishers of Men thing seriously. She goes to town and starts proclaiming. 
Well, and to think too, like, come follow me. Okay, there has to also be be that connection to this is what they would hear from a rabbi. Okay, so they've already been passed over and then they hear these words from Jesus, come follow me. So it's almost like, oh, I get another chance. Right. You know what I mean? Or, oh, somebody sees me as promising. Uh-huh. So I think there would also be that like joy and excitement and openness there. I don't know. What do you think, Fred? I think you're right. And I think that's something we often forget or lose sight of is that our God is a God of second chances. And yeah. Sometimes third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And uh, I don't know for me, but you know, sometimes it, it's 30th chances in a single right. day, you know. 70 and, times 7. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I think that I think that connection you made helps to bring that focus there as well. He does give us that second chance. And in their immediacy, what are they what are they giving up? Everything, everything, yeah. you know, <laughs> literally everything. Like it's a total change of life. Uh, there's an Old Testament example of this kind of immediately leaving everything behind as well. And that's with the calling of Elisha when Elijah uh, comes, um, God tells him, he gives him the name, who would be his follower, who would be the next great prophet. And so Elijah's going along, he sees Elisha plowing in the field, and he says, come follow me. And what does Elisha do? Not only does he quit plowing, but he slaughters all of his ox, oxen mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. feed the people, and he burns the plow to provide the heat to cook the oxen. So I think that is an even more, it's the same thing, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it demonstrates that incredible, just almost shocking immediacy. And giving up everything. He literally, it, you talk about burning bridges. Alicia uh, yeah. was the original bridge burner, I guess, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that immediacy, though, I think one of the things that gets to is that encounter with God in the moment. And I think this is why Pope Benedict reminds us that Christianity is not simply a creed. It's not simply just about uh, a series of rules and regulations that we follow, but it's ultimately about a whom. It's not about a what, it's about a whom. It is about an encounter with living God, the living God. And I think in a lot of ways, this is what we're seeing here with all these people. They are encountering God in a real way. And this is why the Catechism says we're not a religion of the book what we look to is a person, who we look to as a person. And, you know, Pope Francis calls us to and reminds us that daily we're supposed to seek that encounter with Christ. And that's the reality here, is that every single day the Lord is calling us and saying to us, come follow me. Thanks for making that connection, Fred, because I was actually thinking the same thing. In Luke's gospel, we just read through Matthew's gospel, but in Luke's gospel, it has... Jesus getting into Simon's boat and preaching from his boat. And then he tells Simon, go back out, go into the deep and cast your nets. And Simon says, master, you know, basically we've already been out there. We haven't caught anything. And he calls him master. And then they go back out and there's like this miracle of fish. They can't even lift the nets back into their boat because there's so many fish. But I think this is so cool because after this, Simon, he does not call Jesus master. He calls, he says, depart from me because I am a sinner, O Lord. So he goes from calling him master after his teachings and then seeing this mighty deed and calling him Lord. But I think this is so important because when Jesus calls him, He does not follow him immediately because of a mighty deed. He follows him because he is Lord. 
So there's this connection between, you know, in our lives, do we follow God because of what we ask him to do in our life? Maybe the consolation he sends us or, you know, the things we see him working in the world? Or do we follow him because of who he is? You know, you said we encounter a living God, and and that's exactly what is happening. In this call, they're encountering a person, Fred. They're encountering God. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Another thing that really stands out with with this passage, and this is probably the thing that stands out to me more than anything else, the idea that not only did they immediately follow him, but they dropped their nets. And I think that's a key, key part of that scripture that we often overlook. And the reason I say that is because you know, we've already established it's an encounter with God in a real way. But in Scripture, we also see that not every time is this encounter met with an immediate response. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is some resistance there. Uh, when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's not always met with that enthusiasm, that zeal, if you will. And I, see, I think we see this especially in the rich young ruler, who we'll, we'll talk about more here in a moment. But sometimes when we, when we have that call, come follow me, which we're saying is, is always, you know, it's not always a yes or no. Sometimes we're kind of on the fence. See, and I think this is kind of the point of what I'm getting at here is often we follow Jesus, but we never drop our nets. Mm-hmm. We never drop our nets. So if you could just for a moment... If you're driving, don't do this, but if you're just, you know, maybe if you're running, that's probably not a good idea, but maybe close your eyes for a moment and try to picture, we've all seen like the shores of a lake or around an ocean where it's just completely littered with trash and and just kind of picture what that would be like if you were on a boat there on the water and you got out, but you kept dragging the net behind you and you're following Christ, but you're still dragging that net behind you. How long are you going to be able to follow Christ well, holding on that net and dragging it behind you? It's going to get caught on stuff. It's going to slow you down. It's going to weigh you down. And at a certain point, if you're really in love with that net, you're going to keep turning around to try and unhook it from stuff. And then you're going to take your eyes off Christ and kind of lose your way. And that's, that's what we're going to unpack here a little bit is that idea that many of us don't dra- uh, drop our nets. And it keeps us from following Christ in the way that we really should. And Kara, I think it's important to realize that what that net looks like for many of us is, is different. You know, right. and, and some of those nets are bigger than others. And some of those nets are heavier than others. But I, I think, you know, it could look like I have endless post-it notes and things on my to-do list. And I'm always running and I'm never finding time with the Lord because I'm just too busy. Uh, That's holding on to the net. Uh, It could look like all the clutter in my garage or in my basement, or, you know, it could look like one athletic achievement after another, that trumping everything else. Mm -hmm. It could look like I spend more time uh, in front of a screen than I do in meaningful conversation with my wife or children. You know, there's many things that that dragging our net could look like. Yeah, I think many things get caught up in our nets. And Fred, we've talked about this in other episodes, but we have both been reading this Retreat of St. Therese. And I think the part on this uh, of total abandonment really gets to the heart of this, like totally abandoning ourselves, our wills, our attachments 
so that we are so wholly united to God and so able to follow him just as the apostles did in dropping their nets. Because like you said, when we when we don't drop our nets, then that's when things get caught up in it. And I think um, James and John are a really good example of this. We have in, in scripture where um, it shows like, obviously all of them are leaving their trade. You know, they're leaving behind their family. But uh, James and John, it actually says that they are in the boat with their father and they're hired servants. So they had wealth as well. So they're leaving behind wealth. They're leaving behind their father. They're leaving behind, you know, their life's work and what they've grown up doing to go and follow God. Mm. Total abandonment. Right. Yeah. And that, that call, come follow me, ultimately what we're talking about here is that call to be a disciple, which is what we're all called to. That's what Christ intends is for us to be his disciple. And in order to do that, it requires three things. This actually comes from the Joy of the Gospel Evangelium Gaudium. Uh, church document Pope Francis wrote, he says it requires three things. A willingness to risk. Certainly we see that they're risking a lot. You yeah. know, leaving everything behind. That is quite a risk. Well, and even eventually risking their lives right. by yeah. preaching yeah. Christ. Ultimately. Yeah. Now, is that willingness to risk, is that going to be of the same extremeness in in our everyday lives? No, obviously, probably not. Uh, But that willingness to risk is there. Are we willing to risk what other people think think of us? Are we too afraid to pray over our meal before we eat? You know, (laughs) that's a small amount of risk in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that connection can be drawn there. Um, The second thing that being a disciple requires is to be an ambassador. And I, and I think that is a key point, too, that we are in this world, but not of it. The idea that we are representatives of another kingdom. We are representatives of Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that, that's the idea. We are representing somebody else in this world. I had a pastor that used to end a lot of his emails with, Your Majesty's Royal Ambassador. You know, it was only to like, you know, uh, his staff. The inside the organization. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was his inside the organization signature. But but it was to remind people that everything we do, everything we say, we're representing somebody else here. And so it's that witness, the idea of witness and that we're okay with that. Um, and the third point that's required to be a disciple, the willingness to carry a cross. The reality here is those things are required. We can accept or reject this invitation or call. So Christ says, come follow me. Those three points, that's what it looks like. That's what it means. But it's up to us to say yes. And in a lot of ways, it's a daily saying yes to that call. Um, my pastor recently, he was in a homily, he was, somebody had asked him the question. He was talking about this. When did you decide to be a priest? And he said, this morning when I got up. You know, I love that. Yeah, and and he and he also responded, "When did you decide to be married?" And then they realized the point he was getting at mm-hmm. today, and that's because every day we have to renew that call, take up that call, um, and, and drop our nets and, every day. And drop our nets every day, and that's yeah. kind of what I'm what I'm getting at here. Every day it, it requires some discipline, it requires some self denial, but we have Jesus' own words that following Jesus must be unconditional. He says, follow me and leave everything behind. He says, who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So that's what it looks like. 
And then we come to the rich young ruler, Kara, mm-hmm. which we, we promised we'd revisit. The rich young ruler, Kara, could you maybe paraphrase what happens in that scripture passage? Yeah, so we have a, a rich young ruler. We actually don't even find out he's rich until a little bit later when it says he, he went away because he has many things. But he is a rich young man, and he comes to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him, you know, you follow these commandments. And if you look at the commandments given, they're actually the ones that fall under love your neighbor, which I think is so beautiful, so interesting. Um, So he gives him these commandments and the rich young man says, you know, I do all of these things. What more must I do? And I love this. And we've talked about this in a previous episode as well. But I love this because it shows that he recognizes there's something lacking in himself. He says, what what more must I do? And Jesus says, sell all of your things and come follow me. And then he went away sorrowful because he had many things. And it shows there an attachment. To more like he's putting yeah he's not dropping the net first of all he's putting other things ahead of what God is calling him to and it's important to note that the way scripture refers to him it kind of shows that in every other way this is a good man mm-hmm. he's doing a good even by the, in the world's estimation we would say this is a good man he, he's he's doing good things for his neighbors but the one thing he is lacking is that willingness to do those three things, the willingness to risk, to be an ambassador, to carry a cross. He is more attached to his things than he is to Christ or to God. And I think we see there that thing that we all struggle with. It's one thing to have things, and it's another for the things to have us. You know, and, and that's how that's why we have entire seasons on the liturgical calendar dedicating to helping us overcome these attachments. And that's because Christ taught that a whole-hearted spirit of poverty is necessary to be a true follower of him. Now, does that mean you can't be wealthy? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean, do you have the wealth or does the wealth have you? And that is kind of the, the distinction there. Well, and I think when we hold on to our nets too, Fred, the result is exactly what happens to the rich young man. He goes away sorrowful. And we see this like at the beginning of this passage, you know, he comes to him and says, Teacher, what good must I do? And Jesus asks him, Why do you ask me about what is good? One, there is who is good. And then, uh, and then he, you know, he says, Leave all your stuff and then come follow me. So he's pointing that like he is who the one who is good. There's not, it's not a what is good, it's a who is good. And guess what? Come follow me. I'm the one who is good. Mm-hmm. So when he turns away, not willing to drop that net, not willing to leave total abandonment, not willing to leave his wealth, he goes away sorrowful because he's turning away from the one who is good. Right. And in following Christ, what what he's trying to bring about uh, by the working of his grace in us is to bring us to that place of true perfection. But that requires a detachment. It requires detachment from ourselves, from our possessions, in order to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And the sadness that the rich young ruler feels is really the consequence of being distanced from Christ. The reality here, as St. Augustine said, is our hearts are restless until they rest in him. True happiness ultimately is only found in giving ourselves totally to Christ and fulfilling God's will. Because God's will is the purpose for which we were made. Right. And only Christ satisfies us completely. And Kara, I know we've talked about this a lot, but oftentimes, like the rich young ruler, 
we numb ourselves to that sadness we feel through noise, through distractions, through mm-hmm. stuff. And, and because of that, I think many of us don't even hear the Lord saying, come follow me anymore. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's not, because he is. He is always calling us to follow him ever more deeply, ever more closer, trying to conform us to himself. But in our own sort of refusal to put down that net, we continue to to numb ourselves. And we can't even we can't even hear him telling us what's in our net because we haven't heard the first. We haven't heard him say, come follow me. Because it's in the silence, it's in our hearts, it's in our, our minds where that's where God comes to meet us. That's like our innermost sanctuary where God comes to meet us. So if we're constantly numbing that or distracting ourselves and not allowing silence, I think this is a great uh, weapon of the enemy to not even give us moments where we can hear God talk to us and say, come follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, or even say what he said to the rich young man, showing that he is the one who is good. He's the one that brings us joy. Because when we're distracted, when we're not with him, we are only going to, it's only going to result like it did for the rich young man with going away sorrowful. Yeah. Hey, Kara, I don't know about you, but I think this follow me thing, this adventure with the Lord is always exciting. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can, it can be scary at times, certainly. Yeah, yeah. But there's always such a grace and peace that comes, even in the midst of trial, with following the Lord wholeheartedly, seeking him first in all things, that that, that grace, that peace, it really helps to deal with the trials that we face. And the early church especially had such a profound sense of this. I think of St. Ignatius of Antioch, who, you know, was on his way. He was a disciple of the Apostle John, on his way to martyrdom. And, you know, he had the chance to be rescued, and he literally refused. He wouldn't let his people rescue him. He said uh, he was going to be devoured by lions. He said, I am the wheat of God, and am ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. And I remember when I was I was in college preparing to be a Protestant pastor, actually. And funny enough, I went off to this school. Pretty much, it was kind of a leaving everything behind. When I, when I had sensed in prayer that the Lord was calling me to be a pastor, and, and my wife, once as usual, Carrie, you know this is always the case. She accepted it before I did. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we uh, had good jobs and made good money, but literally kind of left all that behind to go off to school. And it, funny enough, this school had a swimming requirement. Now, Carrie, you've never heard this story, I don't think. But, no, I haven't. Uh, I was terrified of swimming because I, would, I had almost drowned twice in my lifetime. And the one time oh, in wow. particular was quite frightening uh, when I was little. And so I grew up with that kind of fear of swimming. And the funny thing is, like when, when I felt like the Lord was calling me to go to this particular school to study theology there and become a pastor, uh, is well, the only school I know of that you had to pass a swimming proficiency test. Yeah, that's super strange. In order to graduate. I don't know if that's still the case, but then it was. I remember just going anyway. And you're supposed to pass this test in your freshman year. Now, by the time of my last semester of my senior year, I had not done this yet. And I'll let you interpret what I mean by that. Procrastinate much? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
And I and I just remember thinking, Lord, you know how I feel about this. I'm not sure if I can do this. Uh, but yet you called me here and I will do it. And I remember it was about this time that I had started reading the Church Fathers and really began, became drawn to the Catholic faith. And in particular, I was reading St. Ignatius of Antioch. And I read this passage that I just read to you. And he's talking about being mauled to death by the lions there. And he said, now I begin to be a disciple. And I just remember thinking, Lord, this is a man who was about to be devoured by lions. All I need to do is jump in the pool and swim, particularly in the deep end. I was going to say it puts put into the deep to new meaning yes, for you. Yes, and so, and so I did it. You know, in those days, Kara, I wasn't as buoyant as I am now. So, you know, it it required a lot more overcoming of fear. But I just kept putting my trust in him, recognizing, Lord, you called me to do this thing. It seems impossible to me right now. Um, Now I begin to be a disciple. And funny enough, that's ultimately that little story is what ended up eventually leading into my becoming Catholic by in one form or another. But I think it's important that witness of the saints that we see of what it means to be a disciple and what it means to follow him wholeheartedly, um, even when we don't understand, even when we're afraid. And that, with that point, I wa- just wanted to say one thing. Sometimes the thing in our net that we refuse to put down is fear. We're afraid to follow Christ with our whole heart. We're afraid to give him, you know, whatever it is that's holding us back to following him fully, we're letting that fear get the best of us. I think anybody can relate to that. I grew up Catholic, and there were moments where I knew God was calling me closer to him, but fear of what that meant I had to do in my own life, I mean, it kept me for years from being in a relationship with God and being as close as I could have been, you know, years before that. And it was because of fear. Yeah. That, I mean, that was the rich young ruler as well, that fear, Yeah, you know. Yeah. And Fred, you mentioned, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? And I really want to point out, it's not an easy thing. And it's not something that we do without failure. I mean, we can look at Simon Peter himself, we've been talking about his call. We can look at him himself. He struggles throughout the gospel, and yet he is the rock that the church is built upon. We see this in Matthew 16, and he struggles. He's not He's not perfect. He challenges Jesus when Jesus says he's going to go back to the R- Jerusalem, and Jesus says, you know, get behind me, Satan. Right, yeah. What, 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 you know? <laughs> what a struggle to be called Satan by right. Jesus the yeah. Messiah. Yep. Um, and then, you know, he, he has his three denials foretold. Yeah. Um, he, so we're not, as disciples, like, we're not called to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, we're called to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Yes, we are in Scripture. But God knows that we can't do it. Right. We're called to drop our nets, and we're called to take up the cross, and we're called to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. But guess what? Jesus knows that it is impossible without Christ. And he says this right after the rich young man passage. It is impossible apart from Christ. And he knows this. And I just think it's so important to point this out because so often as followers of Christ, as disciples, but also as people who are just genuinely like trying to grow in holiness and not sure where to start, we fall into sin. And it's like immediately there is just this this 
shame and regret and we feel really down on ourselves. But I want to encourage you to recognize that Jesus is always standing there with so much love and openness to call you back to him. Mm -hmm. And again, we see this with Peter because after his third denial, he hears the cock crow. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter went away weeping. So the Lord turns, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And let me tell you, that look was not one of condemnation. It was not one of, see, I told you so, you were going to deny me. That look was one in that moment where he recognizes, oh my goodness, I just denied the Savior of the world. That moment where Jesus turns as people are yelling at him and spitting on him and carrying him away to be judged, he turns and looks at Peter with nothing but love. Because First John says God is love. So the moment that God stops looking at any of us with love, he stops being God. Okay, so I just want to encourage you that as disciples, we are called to this, but Jesus knows that we're not going to be perfect. But in everything, he looks at us with love because he wants to draw us back to him. Kara, on this discouragement point, I'm reminded of a great Saint Jose Maria Escriva quote, a saint is a sinner who keeps on trying. Despite all Peter's flaws and mistakes, Christ still calls him, follow me. But like Peter, we have to answer that cri- that question Christ asks, do you love me more than these? We have to put our focus on what matters most and to encounter him in a deeper way, an encounter with Christ that will help us to set us on the right path, to think like him, to love like him, to be like him in all things, and most importantly, to drop that net and follow him.